With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome in Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Uh, alongside Mike Evans, I'm Mark Schlereth. Scott the Hub produced the show. I'd like to thank our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat for all your exercise and supplement needs. Sweet Sweat, you can find them at sweetsweat.com. Also, um, uh, our our great folks, our great partners over at Superbook, uh, America's Best Bets, Superbook. Uh, you and I suck in our picks, and that's just the way it goes. Um, but um, Superbook, I mean, you can make a lot of money if you just pick against us. So there you guys go. That's our public service announcement. So uh, also, uh, you know, marksallpros.com. Check it out for all your uh, all your uh, companies and things that you need uh Thoroughly vetted, MarksAllPros.com. You can check that out as well. Mike, how are you, buddy? Oh, just, you know, ho-hum, another Super Bowl, another mm-hmm. Tom Brady appearance. Can you believe? No. Can you, no. Dude, it is. No. It, one, it's outrageous. Think about this. Okay. And I know we've talked about this before, but 21 years that he's played, but he didn't really play his rookie year. He didn't play his rookie year, and he and he missed the 2008 season. He, got, he tore his ACL in the first game. Uh, in the first half of the uh, 2008 season. So in the 19 years he's played, he's been to 14 conference championships, and he's been now to the Super Bowl 10 times. 10 times! You know, I spent the yes- yesterday, I was all over America on radio waves and television airwaves and and everything else. I did this satellite media tour. It's called shaking your moneymaker. I did. I, shake, I shook my moneymaker. Um, on my birthday, I made some money. <laughs> You never stop working. So uh, I, I'm I'm all over the place. And one of the things, one of the themes um, that was amazing, you know, you can talk about the talent. You can talk about, you know, people talk about and they marvel at, at 43, he still can compete at that level, right? And that's not even, that's not even close to the most impressive thing to me. The most impressive thing to me is that you haven't been sated by the, your success. Human nature just says, man, I've had a lot of success. I've made a lot of money. I'm married to a supermodel. I'm this, that, and I'm the other. Like, I'm just going to go on cruise control. That dude grinds like it's nobody's business. And that, to me, is the most amazing amazing thing. He wants to be coached hard. He wants to get his ass reamed. He wants to, like, he's one of the, and I got a chance to to meet, met with him for, you know, three or four times this year that I've called games. Dude, my sense of Tom Brady is he just wants to be a normal dude. Just wants to be a guy. He really, that that really is. Now he can't because he understands how famous he is, and he understands like kind of the life he leads. But like when you talk to him, man, he is the most normal. Like joke around, flip him shit, 
and he's just flipping it right back to you. And he's it's not offensive. It's not, you know, I mean, it's just the way he is. But his ability to grind, his ability to not be sated by success, his ability to have that internal fire that just burns to say, I'm going to be the best and I'm going to bust my ass, and I'm going to work harder than anybody else, and I'm going to lead my football team, and I'm going to demand a bunch of shit out of them because I demand it out of myself. I mean, it is a, it is, it's a case study in what leadership truly is. And people yell, they get mad. Well, he yells at his teammates. Half the time, and Bruce Arians told me half the time he's dog-cussing himself. He's like, you stupid fucker. You know, he's walking, and he's yelling at himself. So, pardon my French, but... It's amazing. It, this is going to be his 10th Super Bowl. If he wins, it'll be his 7th Super Bowl title, Mike. So is this Super Bowl run his most impressive? I, I think you got to put aside the first one back all the way back in 01 just because it was truly Disney-esque. Where the, where the heck did that come right. from type thing, okay? But once he became Tom Brady. right. Of the other nine, this one has to be the most special, the most unique, considering everything, right? New team, 2020, pandemic. This has to be his most impressive no run, off season. isn't it? I mean, I think just the game alone, coming back from the Atlanta down 28-3 to in the third quarter, that's impressive. But, what but just he, the pro- – I'm talking yeah, about the whole the process. start – you know, start of the year to, to ending up here process. I don't think there's any question. And and when you're talking about a creature of habit, a guy that is so, I mean, he's so pointed and he's so detailed and, and, and he's so scheduled to all of a sudden have that monkey wrench thrown into it. And, you know, you're trying to organize workouts at the high school or at the park or whatever it is. Um, during a pandemic and, you know, people are telling you you can't go and this, that, and the other, and um, there's no off season. And, and I mean, it's amazing what they've been able to accomplish. And the other thing was the air of confidence from the organization when that first game they threw picks, you know, he threw a couple picks, he threw a pick six against New Orleans and they weren't on the same page. And, you know, they won a couple of games. I called week number two. They beat Carolina. And, you know, we called again week three. I think we had them in, in Denver here. And then, you know, had them over the course of the season. I think I called four Tampa games because I, I had the the Raider game in Oakland. And then I had the end of the year against Detroit where they pulled them in the first half because he had already thrown four touchdowns. Um, but the bottom line is how steadfast they were in – yeah, we're not even close to being where we want to be, and it's a process, and we understand it's a process, and it's going to take time, and we're going to have kind of some ebbs and flows in the offensive production, and we just trust the process, and eventually we're going to be where we need to be. And, you know, to watch it come to fruition toward the end of la- uh, end of this season, to watch them all of a sudden start clicking and Antonio Brown becoming a factor, and Mike Evans becoming a factor, and Chris Godwin, even though he's had the drops a little bit late lately, uh, become a huge factor. Scotty Miller making plays. Cameron Brait kind of coming off the 
you know, because he was the third tight end when the season started, yeah. right? Then O.J. Howard gets hurt, and now he is the go-to receiver tight end where Gronk is more the blocking guy, the guy that's, you know, that's dominating line of scrimmage. So it just is amazing to watch it all come together and, and how now all of a sudden they're, you know, offensively they're a pretty damn good fo- football team. So all Brady does is cement his reputation as the GOAT. And now Aaron Rodgers, one in four in championship games. He's only got the one Super Bowl. You and I have talked about the Packers before, yeah. the dynasty that ever was. Where's he at now? Where's he at? Where's his Packer legacy right. at? And, and did you hear a guy after this last defeat that maybe wants a change of scenery? Yeah, you know, I I think it's always one of the things we always said, you know, on my days – on ESPN and and we get down to the end of the year and the you know the kind of exit physicals and they interview guys and especially guys who've had a ton of success and that are older never ever listen to the exit yeah. interview right because especially usually in the exit interview you're exiting in in, in incredible disappointment like you either had a bad season or you got beat in the playoffs or whatever the case may be and so, you know, the emotions are very raw. I mean, Aaron Rodgers know how, knows how good a team they had. He understands that they had a chance. And ultimately, you know, he, he knew that they had a, a great chance to, you know, be a world champion. They're that they're that good. And, you know, it didn't work out, no fault of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he had three touchdowns. He had 300-plus yards uh, passing, you know. I mean, he was he was really good. But you look back on it. I think if you're Aaron Rodgers and you're like, you know, we ended up kicking a field goal with two minutes and nine seconds left on fourth down. And, you know, if I'd have just scrambled. But, again, I'll look at Matt LaFleur on that and say, what could you have possibly been thinking? Because, like, you know how we're all analysts, right? We all sit on our couch and we analyze games. And, you know, I talk to the television set like I'm calling a game (laughs) on, on Fox, right? Right. So I'm sitting there going, oh, you, you get in the red zone, this four-down territory. You got to be – you know, my wife is looking at me like, shut up. Like, I don't need to <laughs> yeah. hear you. Eat your chips. Right. <laughs> Analyze the game. I'm like, it's four-down territory. <laughs> you know, and then I'm screaming at the TV like, run, run. You know, because – but if you knew, if you knew when you walked into the red zone, man, this is, t- this is touchdown or bust. That's where we're going right now. So even if you scrambled on that third down, if you knew you were going for it on fourth down, if it was already discussed, you went into that driving and Matt LaFleur said, hey, Aaron, four down territory. So if we get into the third down situation, don't don't just get us the completion. Let's see if we can break a tackle, but we know we're going on fourth down. So you get into that third down situation and you've already had that discussion. The odds of you scrambling on that wide open, you know, to the right-hand side, scramble. Even if you don't get it, now it's fourth and goal from the two, right? Everything is open. Remember the play action right after the turnover at the start of the first, or the, the third quarter? Turnover, and they fake, they flag the ball out to the running back, and then they dump it a camera braid over the top. Like, that stuff is open to you? In it, because I'll be honest with you, when it comes to goal line defense, the truth of the matter is you have to guess. Right? 
as a defense, you have to as guess, a defensive or, player. What, what? Okay, right. If you you can't you can't like you can't hang back for the play action right. and defend the run because you're going to get a mouthful of ride down. The guy's going to fall in the end zone. So you got to kind of sell out. You got to just kind of guess and say, okay, I think this is what you got. You got to read your keys. You got to do all that. But ultimately, ultimately, hey, in the field. You're reading your keys, you're playing your keys, and you know, and you can play kind of from high to low and try to take away play action and rally up and hey, it's a three and a half, four yard game, whatever. On you know, fourth and goal from the two, you give up a three and a half yard game, guess what? They score they're a yard and a half into the end zone. So I just I'm telling you, you get guesses down there. And that's why you see so many of these wide open, you know, like the the little flat route to the fullback, and like nobody covered him because they're studying up trying to take on the blocker when you're when you're you know flagging that ball out there to the tailback, and there's you just really you can't do it. You got to guess. You know, I I, I never want to you know be be that guy to be be questioning, second guessing a great great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, but. You you know when you won the, the, your first Super Bowl with the Broncos, the the most iconic play of John Elway's career uh-huh. was the the helicopter play. Yeah, where he just took off thirty seven, thirty eight years old, and he was just like, screw it, right? You know, I don't care, I'm going for it. He got upended, spun around, yeah, but it was it was it was a signature moment, and I can only imagine what the feeling on the field and in the yeah. huddle was. After that play, I mean, you guys must have just been like, "We're we're gonna run through a wall of fire mm. uh, for this guy and, and and get it done." I just I look at those plays at the end there, down by the goal line, and I, I'm just wondering why didn't Aaron Rodgers at that moment go for his helicopter moment? Yeah, just sell out. Yeah, just sell out. Understanding that, hey, you know this this might be my. My last best chance to to win another Super Bowl. I I know how important it is for my all time legacy to win a, a second Super Bowl. Man, I'm I'm leaving it all out here right now. And he, instead, he kind of laid back. Is that is that a fair criticism? Uh, probably on my part and others. Uh, probably not. But what I enjoyed was your description. Like you went back in memory lane on the helicopter thing, and. I mean, you were like using jazz hands there. You were I like, was. you were like, I was. Wouldn't it be awesome <laughs> if Aaron Rodgers would have had his helicopter moment? Oh. I mean, you guys would have been ready to run through a wall of fire with him. <laughs> <laughs> Your little hands went out. <laughs> they were like, like we'll run through a wall of fire, fire. with him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I you, like I, again. Way to take my right. John Facenda. <laughs> yes. Moment there and make it into jazz hands. Mm-hmm. You were jazz handsy I there. Jazz you, handsy. you went jazz handsy on me. Uh, but you're right. You're 100 percent right. Again, it had been easier. I, I like. I just think if your mentality when you walk in, and Aaron Rodgers should have done it anyhow, right? So I'm not excusing him either. But if your coach said, "Dude, this is you," and this is this whole drive is four down territory, we're gonna go win this freaking game. Right? I think it's easier to, to play that way. Should have gone for it on fourth down and eight anyhow, or fourth and goal from the eight, whatever it was. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I, I think one of the things that I've consistently found calling games on Fox is that game management is really difficult for a coach. 
especially yeah. a coach that calls his own plays. And you know, I'm having this conversation with Matt Rule. Now, obviously he came from the college ranks, Mike, but I think it I think it's I think it's, you know, whether you're a first-time coordinator, you know, whether you're a young coach or whatever, it's the enormity of the game and managing the game and understanding everything that you need to understand about situational football. And I think Bill Belichick and the Patriots won championships, multiple championships, because they were better at situational football than everybody else was. And there's one that you dropped the ball on because you're worried about play calling. And and whatever else. And I, I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm saying that that I think Matt LaFleur is a great young coach, but I think he screwed up. You know, and I think this is one of those, it's a hard lesson to learn during the NFC Championship, but it's a lesson. You know, all the same, it's a lesson. And I think, you know, Matt Rule told me, he goes, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest difference for me is understanding situations and understanding the fact that every game essentially comes down to a one-score game and the decisions you make affect it. And he goes, it's not college football where all of a sudden you're up 47-8, to eight, you know, and it's mm-hmm. you're rolling in the third quarter. And then you're thinking about, who, what young guys can I get in, right? Woohoo! this is fun. It doesn't work that way. Going to have to talk to my recruits that are visiting uh, yeah, this weekend right. uh, as soon as possible, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it just isn't that way. And so there's just a lot of things that I think young coaches, especially the guys that, you know, they get the opportunity – because they're good young play callers. And good young play callers don't have to worry about it. I had a conversation with Kyle Shanahan that resonates with me, I mean, so strongly. And it was a couple of years ago, and he goes, you know, when I was a coordinator, he goes, things weren't going well. I could just lock myself in the, my office. I wouldn't come out for three days. Wouldn't shower. Wouldn't, I mean, just look like a wreck, greasy hair, hat on my head, you know, hadn't slept. And he goes, as a head coach, I can't operate that way. Man, I got to address the team. I got to look like I'm up, awake, ready to roll. I've got to address the media. And I have got to, even though I'm a play caller, I've got to manage a football game. Yep. And I, I tell you, it is, and, and even Kyle Shanahan, Super Bowl, remember? Yeah, there was there was clock management questions at the end of, yep. I think, at the end of the first half, right? Yep, yep. There was like, and I just think it's, I think it's a really hard thing to do, especially when you're Vic Fangio calling defensive plays or you're Matt Lafleur calling offensive plays. Hey, Andy Reid's had his issues yes, over absolutely. the years. You know, and there's a there's a veteran coach who's been through it all, and he, you know, even in the last few years, he had he had some celebrated issues with clock management. I think the other thing too that we've learned this year, and this was a a record-setting year across the NFL. You go and look, and offensively, records set all over the place with uh, all kinds of offensive numbers. But but here's something that, that jumped out. The NFL this year established itself as a go-for-it league. Fourth down attempts, fourth down conversions soared this year. Mm-hmm. And it's a, and it's a, to me, it's a combination of two things. One, analytics. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the odds of actually making it on fourth down and extending drives are so much better than just simply kicking the ball away. And secondly, you know, this notion that how many times do we hear you and you analysts say it? Hey, kicking field goals is going to get you beat. 
Yeah. You can't match field goals with touchdowns when you're going up against this team. Mm. And I thought we saw two examples this weekend where, in the case of Matt LaFleur and Sean McDermott, they they lost sight of that. And they kick field goals when you need to go for it. The decision by Buffalo to kick the field goal at the end of the first half to make it 21-12. to 12, Who cares? Who cares if you kick a field goal there? Mahomes... And that yeah. offense just revved it up in the second quarter. They're going to be getting the ball back to start the third quarter. You got to go for it. Where are they at the three yard line? So I think what we we learned and we got examples of this weekend. The NFL is a go for it league. Yeah, I wonder They're how not much, a kick field goal league. I wonder how much that will change and it'll go back to the norm because of the fact that next year they'll have fans in the stands again. One of the things, Mike, that that you saw as an analyst being at these games, is the lack of concern for the road team, crowd noise, environment. So normally, you know, you get a a kickoff, and let's say you try to take it out and you're pinned, or a punt that pins you inside the 15, 12-yard line. 30, 40% of your playbook is eliminated, done. We, We can't run this. Right, or let's just try to see if we can get close to a first, and let's try to flip the field. Let's get a punt. You know, of too our much own. noise coming out from under. It's just near it's your too, end zone. It's just too hard to communicate. You know, you can't have the the can it plays. You can't have the you know the can it plays. Or you, you hear guys do it all the time. Blue eighty, blue eight, can can can. You know, and they change the play. Right, mm-hmm. you, you can't do it. There's too much crowd noise coming out of the end zone. There's a, so there's all these factors that you didn't have to factor in this year. Interesting. And, you know, you got, like I said, you're coming off the 12-yard line, 100% of my playbook is open. I don't, and I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about the defensive ends getting a jump on my tackles and my tackles can't hear, so I got to eliminate all seven-step drops or all five-step drops with a hitch. I got to only throw three-step drops, and now, now my, now the defense can play with their heels at you know, play a flat foot read with their heels at six or seven, and say let's break on all short routes, all slant. Let's just break on these slant routes, even if they complete it, it's for a two yard gain. That's the way teams are playing, right? Now all of a sudden we're like, no, we can drop back and take a five step with a hitch. We can get a double move in off our own twelve yard line. We're not afraid. Like that's it's a different it's a different game without fans. There's hmm. truly no. Home field advantage. I still think the genie's out of the ball, though, when it comes to the fourth down. I think, oh, I think, it, I I think, think teams realize, you know what? It, it's it's it the way the teams move the football now right. stink. It's like, okay, wh- what's the point? If I go for it fourth and, and one at, at my 48-yard line or their 48 mm-hmm. versus punting to their 15, right. they're, they're going to move out to the 40 again pretty quickly. I think you'll see it. You you'll it'll still be more than what it has been, but it'll it'll fall back closer to the norm because teams that are on the road aren't going to the home teams. Yes, yeah, right. But the teams that are on the road are not not going to take the same chances that they took this season. The 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 Chiefs. Here's the big question I think so many people have, and we get all the time here in Denver because Bronco fans understandably are right. terrified of the idea of Mahomes for the next fifteen years. What we're watching, how much of it is Mahomes, or how much can you argue that, yeah, Mahomes is is really good, but man, he wouldn't be the same without Andy Reid, and he certainly wouldn't be the same without that dynamic duo of Kelsey and Hill. You know, is right. Mahomes still going to be Mahomes 
down the road several years from now when Kelsey and Hill are gone? Because those two are just unbelievable. I think Mahomes is is playing at, at such an incredibly high level. And I think, you know, I think we see the exceptional when things break down as they, you know, tend to do 20, 30% of the time. And, you know, he has somebody draped off his legs and he throws one underarm, under, underhand, you know, or sidearm, you know, 36 yards down the field and it's a perfect strike to some dude running full speed. I mean, some of the things he does, there's just, there's no defending him. You just can't. And so he does that stuff exceptionally well. I think what he probably doesn't get credit for, Mike, is that the 70% of the time you're on schedule, he's a killer. Remind people of your 70-30 formula. So, I, I, I've This is actually the one thing I've stolen from you. Yes. The 70-30 formula is 70% of the time your offense is on schedule. You know, you, you run first down and you get your four yards and you're on schedule and then you run second down and you get another four and a half yards and it's third down and one and then you go into your third down package and bam, you convert that and then it's back to first down. You are just flat out playing quarterback. Yeah, you're just boom, 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 boom. Your job is, hey, it's third down and four. We're on schedule. Now you go get us a first down, you know, figure out, you know, figure out what defense they're in. Let's run a couple of motions. Let's figure out what they're playing and let's figure out where the best one-on-one matchup is. And you go exploit that one-on-one matchup, one-on-one matchup on third down the floor. Now we're back into first down. You're on schedule. Um, and you've got to be able to play on schedule. You got to be able to convert on those third down and fives, third down and fours. You got to be like, you got to stay on that. He's exceptional on schedule. He can dice you apart on schedule. He can win you games on schedule. And this is why, you know, Buffalo in the first game this season, it was the first time, and I can't remember, it's it's some ridiculous length of time. Buffalo never blitzed him one time. The first game, now they gave up 240 yards rushing, but they basically just said, you're going to run against us, but we're not going to let that guy. And he was 21 of 26. You want to talk about on schedule? Mm-hmm. 21 to 26 for 200 and some odd yards. Yeah, 225, and, two touchdowns. Yeah, two touchdowns. Why? Oh, you want me to beat you on schedule? Okay, I can, I can do that. Mm-hmm. How do you want me to beat you? You want to bring pressure? <laughs> Please. I'm the best quarterback in the history of the league under pressure. Please bring me pressure. We say it when I was in Washington as a young player. We say we live by the blitz, we die by the blitz. And we'd just be like, beg them to blitz. Because we got a plan. And we're going to cut you up. And it's true. You know how to pick it up. You know, you know, you know where to throw it hot. You know where the one-on-one is. And there ain't nobody can hold up. If you can pick it up and make them hold it for a half second longer. So the the whole theory is on the blitz, if you can affect the quarterback on your first step, you got a chance to be good. If you can make that guy take six steps. Blocking him, make him go the round, the long circle, snap it quick, so he's two yards away from the line of scrimmage before he actually triggers. Guess what? You're gonna get your ass kicked. <laughs> That's the way it works. And there's nobody better in the league than Mahomes. We'll uh, be able to sing the praises of Mahomes and the, the Chiefs later on this week as we uh, you know talk more about the the Super Bowl. But uh, for the Bills Mafia out there listening, how should they take this loss? Just Shrug it off, and hey, you got super, super bright days yeah. coming. Or did, or are there some 
weaknesses that definitely need to be shored up here? Well, I think, one, you've got your quarterback developed exceptionally well. Um, you've got an unbelievable receiving core. Um, I, I look at the I look at the Bills, super talented football team. I'd like to see them be more balanced. I'd like to see them have a little bit more commitment to running the football. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, that's how they won all year long, right? So I'm not gonna, you know, they got to the AFC Championship playing that way, but I'd like to see that. Because what I'd like to see is them to be able to take the pressure off of their quarterback. Yeah. I think the great ones, Mike, the great coaches, figure out a way. So I'll just give it to you this way. And this way, Sean Payton explained it to me. We're going to throw it 35 times. Pretty much everywhere in the league, you're going to throw it 35 times a game, right? Somewhere in there, give or take, you know, five or six throws, right? Sometimes you're going to throw it 40 plus. Sometimes you're going to throw it 26, whatever it is. But around 25 or 35 times. That's 35 times where the quarterback is mentally under duress. He's got to be the – it's not just rolling over and handing it off, right, and and faking a boot keep out the backside. Like, that doesn't take a lot of mental stress. But when you drop back 35 times, it's 35 times you're under duress mentally. You may be physically under duress as well, but mentally you're under duress because that's on you. You got to execute the fake. You got to get back. You've got to manipulate the rush. You got to read the coverage, understand where the weakness of the coverage is, where you want to go with the football, and then you got to de- deliver it on time and on target. That's a lot of mental anguish, right? There's a lot of mental duress there. So Sean's theory is I need to take 12 of those reps off my quarterback. You know, dump a screen, throw a little bubble screen, throw a smoke. You know, have a couple of three-step drops that are really easy completions. You know, da da da. A couple of boot keep games where I've got you know somebody in the flat. You know, I've I've got some type of layered route. So I've got the the pin flat by the tight end. I've got the second tight end and a two by two that's doing a shallow cross. And then I got my wide receiver running a comeback or whatever. Right. So I've got it's really linear progression. It's a really easy throw. Like I I I need to take twelve of those tough duress mental reps off my guy. And I think Buffalo needs to do that. Right now it's, hey, Josh Allen, go win us this game by throwing it on every down, and uh, when you don't throw it, you're going to be the one running it too. I think it's too much. Yeah. And so I think that's one thing that they have to they have to come to grips with. I think the other thing they have to come to grips they need a war daddy on the defense. They need one dude that can totally affect – be a game wrecker um, that they don't have. And they thought Hughes would be that guy. Yep. He's just not that guy. Good player. Don't get me wrong. They got a bunch of good players. Ed Oliver inside's a good player. Quentin Jefferson's a good player. They've got good players and they got a great rotation. But they got one. Uh, you got to have one. Like to me, you got to have one war daddy. Somebody that you guys say, hey, we got to double team this guy every time we get into a passing situation, which then you can attack protections, right? Because then you can say, um, all right. They're gonna they're gonna find a way to double the team this guy. So whether it's slide, depending on where their back is, if it's the back coming over, if it's the tight end, like you can figure it out right. the way they're going. And then you can say, now we're gonna bring pressure over here. Now we're gonna make sure we get this one on one over here, whatever it is. So I, I think those are the two things to me. One's a personnel situation on right. the defensive side, 
and then one's a philosophical situation on the offensive side. I think those are the two things they need to address. Hey, one last one for you. As we wait to see if Houston is going to trade Deshaun Watson, we know now that Detroit's going to move on from Matthew Stafford. You've you've done a lot of Lions games over yeah. the last couple of years. There seems to be a lot of debate out there about about Stafford. You know, is he is he an elite quarterback? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much should his failure to lift Detroit over the years? He's got a losing record of like seventy four and ninety over a decade plus. How much of that should be held against him? Uh, what would teams be? Uh, getting in Matthew Stafford? What should they give up for Matthew Stafford? You're a huge Matthew Stafford fan. Matthew Stafford is an elite-level quarterback. Um, And I understand organizationally they've been, they just have have never had an identity. You know, their identity, you want to talk about what we just talked about. They dump it on Matthew Stafford, say we're going to throw it 40 times a game, it's 100% on you, go. Oh, yeah, you know, they'll give you a Megatron every now and again, right? They'll give you one of those guys every now and again. Do you know in 12 years that he's played there, they've had one rusher that's rushed for 1,000 yards? Seriously? And it's barely 1,000 yards, and it was Reggie Bush. No kidding. Wow. One time. What a stat. They don't. They, they have never committed to that. They've never had, in my mind, and I've done years, you know, several years of, of calling games, but I've, I've been watching them forever. They've never really had a dominant offensive line. They've just never had an identity other than Matthew. Go win us a game. That's what that's what their identity has been. So I, I don't want to hear about his record. I don't want to hear about how he doesn't elevate people. They've just they've never had an identity, and they've never ever taken that pressure off of him. He is he is a Dixie plate that they load to the point where it can't hold up anymore. That's their that's their. That's their organizational philosophy. They're going to the picnic, and Matthew Stafford's a Disney plate, and they like everything. They like the chicken wings. They like the tater salad. They like the uh, ambrosia salad, but they need some of them barbecue ribs on that plate too. And then, oh, my gosh, burgers and hot dogs? Yeah, throw those on chips, right? And then they just throw one last thing on there, you know, uh, Corn of the cob, thank you. And then it breaks in half, and half your, you know, half your food falls on the on the grass. That's Detroit. That's their that's their approach to so football. You're saying the Lions, instead of being hefty, 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 they're yeah, wimpy, 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 wimpy. wimpy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what they are. And so, like, I'd love to see him have an organization that's actually committed to being a good football team, as opposed to saying, "Hey." Go, go, you know, Matthew Stafford, here's the, you know, here's the keys to the, here's the keys to the Ferrari, or here's, the, you know, here's the keys to the top fuel dragster, but we only have unleaded. How many races are you going to win? Seriously. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how they, that's how they operate. So, so if you're in, if you're, if you're looking for the 10 to 15 year unicorn, Matthew Stafford, obviously is not your guy, but if you're, if you're looking at this in a three, four, five year window, you, you think you, can you, win, you think to, you can win big with Matthew Stafford? I think you win divisions with Matthew Stafford. I think you can be a playoff perennial playoff team with Matthew Stafford if you build it the right way. Hmm. Um, and listen, man, I've done I've done games now on Fox for four years, so I've been up close and personal. I've seen and I've studied. You know me. I mean, I I'm spending 25, yep. 30 hours a week studying yep. tape. Yeah, you're okay? crazy about that. It's what I do. Um, 
as far as just pure talented throwers of the football, there's probably uh, you know what I was thinking one, but there's there might be two guys that I've watched that are are, are maybe more talented throwers of the football than Matthew Stafford. It's Aaron Rodgers and it's Josh Allen. Even Allen, Allen's got the arm strength, but if you're just talking about throwing the football, yeah, accuracy and and right. and, and, and consistency throwing the football. Well, but, but Matthew Stafford was where Allen was when he was young because he would mechanically he'd right. break down, he'd right. get a little lazy with right. his mechan- he was in shotgun but so top much. Th- he's a top three arm talent. Just arm talent alone, absolutely one of the top arm talents in football and unsolicited. This is unsolicited. I'm doing a game between Tampa, Detroit, this week 15, week 14, whatever it is. And I'm having a conversation with Bruce Arians, unsolicited. He was one of the few quarterbacks I've ever come out early to watch warm up. Matthew Stafford. He goes, dude, I love watching him throw a football. He goes, I'll just sit there and basically watch. He goes, one, unbelievable arm talent. Just he does things that people just can't do. Two goes, he is tough as shit. That's unsolicited. Just out of the out of, I'm just doing the game. Oh, by the way, this is something I like. That's Bruce Arians. Just so inside NFL circles, inside Matthew Stafford, there are gonna be twelve teams that are gonna chase him. I, I'm telling you, there and, and you know, and I know all these people will be like, Well, he never won anything and he's never won a playoff game and he's you know, but he had Megatron. You know, don't be a dumb shit. Like, give me the, the receiver, the big time receiver that leads your team to a, a world championship. It doesn't work that way. Well, I'll tell you what. You have more than sold me on Matthew Stafford. I was, I was skeptical. I was wondering, but hey, I, I respect your opinion. No BS. You put the time in. You study, you watch these guys, you talk to you talk to people in the know. I think your opinion is as informed as anybody. So if I'm a fan of the Broncos, the Colts, Washington, New England, Carolina, mm-hmm. any of these teams that have been, you know, linked as possible landing spots for Matthew Stafford, uh if you're a fan of one of those teams, you got to be excited what you're hearing from Stink right now cuz that is a that is a rock solid endorsement of Matthew Stafford. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I am I am telling you, you put a football team around him, put him in San Francisco where they know how to run the ball, where they got an oval line that, that'll get nasty with you, where they got tight ends that'll block people. Put him in San I dare you to put him in San Francisco. They'll go to hey, they'll they'll be right back in the Super Bowl hunt. Promise you. Wow. I promise you. All right. On that note, what an endorsement. All right. That pretty much ties it up. Yeah. Get excited, people. I, I can't think of a better way to finish that yeah. one. Whammo. Hey. That's, for, just, that's Viagra for right. uh, struggling football uh, teams and fans out there. Hey, for everybody involved with the Stinky Truth Podcast, for our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat, also uh, Superbook, America's Best Bet. Thank them so much for being involved in the show. For Mike, myself, for Scott, thank you guys. We'll be back with you uh, at the end of the week.